The verses 1 through 8, found on, beginning on page 1584 in your pew Bibles. Before we open the word, let us pray. Lord, we come to you this Easter morning with joy and gratitude. We don't need to be bewildered because we can be sure that this is Resurrection Day and that you died and rose again and we are redeemed. Thank you that we could witness the declaration of faith of these four young people. Bless them on their journey and bless Pastor Chris as he leads us this morning. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. The Resurrection. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll that stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes Easter story is a hard one for us to, to really enter into. We've been part of cultures that have talked about this day and, and highlighted this day for centuries already. We live on the other side of, of where Mark's gospel ended. Mark's gospel ends with the, the women running from the tomb, uh, afraid, uh, unable to tell anybody anything because of their fear. And yet we know somehow they must have told somebody because we've heard the good news. We've heard the story that Jesus is risen. And that story has changed everything. But if we listen to this text, we hear trembling and bewilderment. We hear and feel the fear that is in this text of having encountered for the first time the risen Christ and having their worlds so totally transformed. Perhaps to help us a little bit enter into the story, I want to talk a, just for a moment kind of the context that, that these particular women were experiencing. Mary Magdalene was, by multiple accounts, a woman who had been demon-possessed. A couple of the accounts say that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. She was a woman in a culture who had no place. She was not allowed to come and talk to a rabbi. She needed a man in her life to do that. And yet here, somewhere along this journey, Jesus had befriended her. Jesus had approached her and made room for her. The social upheaval that goes along with that 
most of the time we pay attention to Jesus crossing the line, but we don't stop to think about the impact that it had on the people that he crossed the line for. That he knew Mary's name. That he would speak with her and that she would follow him around. I mean, Jesus did this multiple times. Uh, You think of the Samaritan woman at the well sitting there and, and, and Jesus sits down and begins to talk to her. She is taken back. How could this man and this Jewish man speak to me and ask me for anything? Jesus had been in the habit of crossing those social barriers, restoring dignity and honor to the people around him. Think about what Mary Magdalene went through that week. Having a place, having a place where where she's honored and respected among other people, where she's welcome, where where people know her and, and interact with her. And then Jesus died. It wasn't just that Jesus died on that Friday. I mean, imagine the fear that sets in the fear that sets into her that day as she stands there and and she watches Jesus nailed to the cross. It's not just Jesus being nailed to the cross for her. It's her hopes. It's it's her future. It's, it's It's her whole life. I mean, everything had already been ripped away from her. Every source of dignity and and sense of well-being had been torn away and shattered in that culture. She was a nobody, and and Jesus gave her purpose and meaning in life. And and then he died. As he died. As he died, it wasn't just the loss of of someone she loved and, and cherished that died. It was it was a flood of fear that would have rushed back in. How will the men treat me now? How, how will the other disciples who took off and run respond to me now that Jesus isn't here? The one who defended me, the one who saved me, he's gone. Who, who do I have left in this world? Mary couldn't wait for that Sabbath to finish. The Sabbath, the text says, finished, and and immediately Mary and the other Mary and Salome went to the market to buy the spices, those burial spices. Jesus was really dead, and the the only thing she could think to do is, "I've, I've got to somehow pay my respects. I have to honor him somehow. They bought the spices at night and they waited until the morning. wonder what that waiting night was like for her. I imagine she did not sleep. Crack of dawn, Mary and Mary and Salome grab those burial spices, those pounds and pounds of spices and they, they carry them to the tomb. They're vulnerable. Not just because they're women in that culture, but they're vulnerable because they're associated with Jesus 
who the high priest just had killed. And they go to the grave. Who's going to roll away this stone? Jesus had said in another of the gospel accounts, if these people are quiet about who I am, the stones will cry out. As Mary's walking to the tomb, she's very aware of this stone that stands there silently blocking the tomb. A cold stone. What were they going to do? How would they get to his body? How? How? You feel the emotional weight and the questions and the wondering happening in that day and in that moment for Mary. Because until we start to sense the the weight of what she's carried there, the, the death she is experiencing even while alive, we can't understand the end of the text. Some of us may be here today carrying a similar type of weight. We may have had a story where we grew up in the church and yet it was people in the church who pushed us away from God. Some of us here had parents who who did not treat us as they should. And we bear the scars not just 10 years later, but 50 and 60 and 70 years later of parents who who spent their time proclaiming God is good, God is faithful, and yelling at us and harming us. Some of us come here with a heavy heart because we feel like God has let us down. We, We had our kids baptized. Those waters... These baptismal waters, we, we watch the minister pour them on our children. And every time we witness a baptism, our heart breaks because our kids are in church. They're not following God at all. They have run from him and turned their back. And we wonder, God, are you ever going to be faithful to your promises? When will you show up and fulfill those promises? feel wait seeing the professions of faith this morning as other people's young children profess their faith and knowing some of ours have walked away it breaks us we long for God to be faithful and we are tired and worn out and wondering if he ever will be For some of us, it's simply looking at the world around us. We see the news about Brussels and and we go, another evidence, God? When will you intervene? And our hearts can't contain the pain we feel and see in the world around us. And we want to shout and we want to cry out, God, where are you? If Jesus came 2,000 years ago, when is he going to come back and make everything right? You promised, God. And we feel in this day Mary Magdalene's dying and crying and hopelessness weighing heavy on her because it is a hopelessness we often feel as well.
imagine then? Imagine then showing up to that tomb and seeing the stone that you expected to be in place rolled away. I mean, you had seen people die again and again and again. You knew, you knew what spices their bodies needed to be properly buried. You knew how you were supposed to honor them, and you knew once that stone was in place, it was finished. But this time, that stone had been moved. Who could have done such a thing? Who would desecrate Jesus' body? Hadn't they done enough to him? Your fear and your hopelessness spins into a rage. Where have they taken him? Where is he? Where is his body? And then you you step into that tomb, hoping beyond hope that at least his body is somehow still there, but you look and it's not, and instead of his body, there's a young man sitting there dressed in white. I mean, feel the puzzlement that comes in. Feel the sense of of what is happening, the confusion. Feel the emotions flying through in this moment for Mary. And then you hear these words. He is risen. He is not here. she probably saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter and saw Jairus' daughter walking around again and and heard she had died and and she was really alive and and she certainly would have been around Lazarus and known that Lazarus had died and been raised but but who had ever raised themselves? Jesus had done all of that for others and he was gone. These words don't quite make sense to her. He is risen? He is not here? Go, tell tell his disciples and, and Peter. Hear that little glimpse of grace. Remember Peter's part in this story? That boldness on Thursday night as Peter was with Jesus. And that boldness, he, he says, as, as he's with Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm, I'm about to die. And, and Peter exclaims, then I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus just says, no, you won't. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, the last we've heard of Peter is him running from the courtyard of the Pharisees. Broken devastated by his own unwillingness to go along with Jesus, his own doubt and shame and fear. Do you hear the grace, this message of grace that she's being given, Mary's being given a message of grace, even in the midst of her her bewilderment? Tell Peter. Tell Peter. He, him too, Everyone who had denied him 
Everyone who's walked away from God, everyone who's turned their back on God has grace in this text at this point. The good news, he is risen, he's not here. Go tell Peter. Those of us who have wondered and wandered and doubted and run have a companion in Peter. And God's good news to Peter is good news to us this day. In that resurrection moment, the first grace given is this incredible grace. Go get Peter. Bring him back. Tell him to come see me. I want to see him. Many of us need that word from God. That subtle word where we hear our name. Maybe we need to read this text in a, a different way. Go tell his disciples and, and put our own name in. We need to hear Jesus desiring us, wanting us to be with him. In the midst of our sin, even after we deny him and run away from him, even when we don't believe that he calls to us, says, I want you still, even now. Mary and Mary Salome turn. It says they, they went out of the tomb and then they ran. It's kind of interesting. There's actually about four or five times where Jesus' disciples are seen or people are seen as running in response to Jesus. And there's even more times, the next phrase that said, that they were bewildered, that they were they were terrified. It happens all the way through the gospel story. And you know what the consistent refrain is accompanying it? Do not be afraid. In fact, if you take those phrases, do not be afraid and do not fear, those two combinations, it's something like 128 times that scripture says those. To people of God to God's people who, who know the story of God's grace, who, who've been raised in the story, who have heard that God created the world, that, that even when people sinned, God stepped in and made a way for them, that God raised up a people in Abraham and the people of Israel. They've heard these stories. They've experienced Jesus in the flesh, and still they feared, and Scripture again and again and again and again says to them, do not be afraid. One of the conditions of us as God's disciples, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as people who are wondering who he is, is that we are frequently afraid. Afraid of the future and what it holds. Afraid of, of our own sins being exposed. Afraid of our own shame. Afraid of our doubts. Afraid of, of who God really is. We are frequently afraid. And God sends messengers again and again again with this consistent message do not be afraid that message is rooted in this day do not be afraid because death your ultimate enemy 
is no longer in charge. Do not be afraid because the religious authorities who have driven you from God have done their worst, and yet Christ lives. Do not be afraid because the pain and suffering you have experienced and are experienced is not the end of the story. There is more to it. Christ, who is crucified, is now alive. He is risen. Hallelujah. There is a, a joy that emerges among these disciples as they run. The, the interesting part of this text, we struggle in English how to say this word bewildered. It's ecstasy. Ecstasis. Out of balance. Off kilter. Thrown for a loop. They encountered the risen Lord. They heard the good news, and they didn't know what to do with it at first. It is so far beyond what they expected, so much more than what they had anticipated. And in that moment, they're thrown. What do we do now? Commentators all the way from the second century on have wrestled with how Mark ends here. In the third century, they added the last part that you read. If you read from verse 9 through the end of Luke, or the end of Mark there. Mark 16, starting at verse 9. If you read, it says in the, in the NIV, the earliest and most trusted manuscripts do not have these verses. Mark ended it at, at verse 8. And he ended it with this question. It, it's supposed to evoke in us, the readers, now what? We're supposed to, in some sense, read this story and then, wait, ladies, you can't stop there. You just heard the good news. Don't, don't sit. Don't hold it to yourself. Please don't keep it to yourself. In some sense, you're supposed to go back to the very beginning and say, wait a minute. If you're not going to tell anybody that he's actually risen, I'm going to. Mark writes this story in such a way that, that we're thrust into it. Not as, as casual kind of readers of a story. Not as, as people who are reading some sort of myth, but as people who are supposed to be immersed right back into it as participants themselves. To take all those feelings and emotions that we have in common with Mary Magdalene and with Peter, and with the others in the story, and find ourselves standing as, as if we were among the crowds and among the disciples, as if we had watched Jesus die, as if we had watched the, the stone rolled over the tomb, as, as if we had gone there that first morning along with the women and seen the tomb open. As if we had heard that young men dressed in white, that messenger from God saying, Jesus Christ, whom you're looking for, who was crucified, is now risen. He is not here. As if we had heard that with our own ears, in our own ecstasy, our own out-of-balance, off-kilter way, go running from the tomb with them, shouting out, He's risen! He is alive! I've seen it. I have hope. Let me tell you the hope I have. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me tell you about this one who died and is alive. 
Let me tell you how I saw him heal someone. Let me tell you how I've experienced him come alongside me in the place where I thought nobody would be there for me. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how he is with me even as I face death and my body is in decay. Let me tell you the rest of this story. Because it is a story that is left unfinished. A story that we, as we read it and enter into it, are supposed to be telling everybody else and finishing the story. And that is what this day is. It's a day of commissioning. It's a day of sending as we stand in our utter bewilderment that Christ who died is also Christ who risen, also Christ who will come again. That is the Easter story. A story we are being ushered into alongside these women with all our hopes and fears and doubts and anger and shame. And we are being sent with the good news to finish the story, to tell our part in it that yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is alive and I know it to be true because I've seen him. I've experienced him. I'm looking forward to the day he makes all things new. Let's pray. By so many counts, Lord, this day does not make sense. So many other experiences in our life tell us that once you died, you were dead and gone. And yet here, this story, these witnesses were there and and they were broken just like us and they didn't have it together and they were filled with fear and doubt just like us. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to see you as risen, even in the midst of all that we bring that's broken and dying. May your new life, this resurrection life that throws us out of balance and and undoes so many things that we think we've understood, help us. In Christ alone we pray. Invite us to stand together and sing in Christ alone.